You're listening to Tiger's Eye, Episode 3. I reach the lift before my village and pause. There is no way that I can briefly explain this. I tilt my body and lower my shoulder, and the new thing flops down, still attached. He has hooked his forelimb around the harness of my armor to better cling on. I let the reptor drop into the lift and pry him loose. His eyes are closed. His breathing is shallow. He passed out some time ago. Snatching up a broad leaf from the nearby king palm tree, I wrap him in it and deposit this parcel next to the reptor carcass, yanking on the signal rope three times. As we are borne aloft, I crouch over him and consider closer inspection. I decide against it so as to not arouse attention from the three tigers at the gate as they hurtle past us. I have no time to dawdle at the offering house. A reptor. Thank you, Frau. He is a big one. You're welcome. Good evening. But can't talk. Things to do. Hey! I make my way back to my hut with a folded palm leaf package under my arm. We pass by a dozen tigers on the way, and I can see several of them scenting something new. I avoid their curious stares and hurry on. Once inside, I deposit the creature onto my bed. Skin, now pale and trembling, eyes closed and fluttering. I prod it several times and whisper to awaken, but there is no sign of consciousness. I race to my father's house. He is not inside. I raise my nostrils and find the faint tail end of his scent. I follow it, bounding through the village to where he is mending a loose set of boards. What is it? Are you hurt? Please come and see me at my house. Quickly. I am back there in moments. The creature has not stirred. Soon my father turns up again. You know I hate leaving a job nearly done, Harrell. I hope this is important. Otherwise, what am I looking at? Stay quiet, and please don't bring this to the rest of the tribe yet. I need some help and maybe advice. I uncurl the leaf further, and he gets a better look at what is inside. I don't understand. Oh... Do you know what it is? It's... No, I have no idea. Where did you find it? (sighs) The river. It was floating down from the north, clinging to a branch. He may have caught a chill in the water, or perhaps something worse. Would you like me to fetch the healers? Please. Just bring one. Bring Laura. Keep it quiet. He disappears, and I am alone with the ailing creature again. The sounds of the village outside continue uninterrupted, but through the corner of my eye, I can see through the window occasional glances in the direction of my house. 
I extend a pad and lay it on his forehead. It is hot and wet. With nothing else to do and nobody to consult, I reach into a jar and remove some cool clay, work it into malleability with my pads, and pack it into a small pile to lay against his head. I notice under his shirt he wears a beaded necklace with a tiny ornate carving. Somebody put this on him. Time passes. I try not to look at him often. My heart is pounding. Clearly, I am more terrified of discovery than I first thought. I prepare to explain myself. Laur enters behind me, crossing over to the creature and kneeling beside the bed with a deafness and surety of action I cannot help but admire. The healer turns to my father. It is as you described, Hunta. Have you seen one of these creatures before? Not the creature itself, but the sickness. His symptoms. This looks like white fever? Maybe so. That might be more serious for one so small, especially if it's his first time. Did you put this clay on him? I was trying to keep his head cool. Uh, No, no, good work. Laur opens up a bag, finds a bottle, peels the clay off, and begins to rub a salve into Meagle's skin. We need to draw this out of him and keep him cool. What has he eaten? Just a little antelope and a sunfruit. We don't know what he is. That could be deadly to him. Rao, fetch me fresh water with and without salt, a hot water and three bowls. Hunta, I need several pots with wide mouths. I am gone a moment and back again. Laur induces vomiting, which my father catches with a grimace in the pot. Ah, this takes me back. We need to get rid of it all. Empty his stomach. Give him some fresh water to rinse his mouth. Now, Rao, I want you to go into my bag, find me the carved wooden tube. Got it. Now empty a small handful of what's inside into the hot water bowl. Time passes, slowly and unpleasantly. I don't think there's anything left. Empty those pots out the window, Junta, please. Rao, back in the bag, find me a small green pouch with yellow cord, and give me some of the bark from in there. It will reduce the pain. Thank you. And the unsalted water. Hold still, child. This is going to taste bitter. There. Now chew. The healer mimes a chewing motion, and the creature obediently takes some of the bark into his mouth, chewing with a screwed-up face. He gags again. Swallow that down. There's a good cup. Rao, give him a licorice twig to chew on after this. Alright, now hand me the hot water bowl. That should now be a soothing tea. Now, if this creature is very lucky, it'll wake his body up and make him fight off what's killing him. But he's got to drink it all. After many gulps and protests, the bowl is empty, and the creature flops back onto the bedding, wet through and beyond exhausted. I glance out the front windows and spot more faces gathering close to my house, concerned over the noises coming from within. I grab a fan and blow the acrid odors out of the opposing window, away from the assembly on my porch, clearing the room. That's all I can do. Now we let him rest. Laur, who are you going to tell about this? I have no choice but to tell Haka. I've done all I can for this animal, but the shaman's the one who will decide what he is and what's to be done. 
Haka will urge the tribe to reject it. Looking at his state, I'm not sure that wouldn't be the best of decisions. But if he lives through this... He's very weak. Besides, look out there. This is not a secret you can keep. A shiver runs up the length of my spine. I curse myself for not setting up a shelter away from the village, until I remind myself how very little I wish for this thing to live. I return to my father, who is arranging a light blanket over it. Did you hear Lau call him a cub? Perhaps that's what he is. A misshapen, hairless cat from the north. He isn't. His legs don't go in the right direction. He has no tail, no whiskers. Look at his malformed mouth and the shapes it makes. There is almost nothing feline about him. Daughter, why did you save him? I don't know. What can I do for you? Just stay with me. Thank you again, Dada. Well, this is nothing. It's, it's what I'm for. Time passes. We sit. Meagle sleeps, shivering under the blanket, waking only every so often to drink a little more water and then regurgitate again. His lips are going blue. His skin is saturated. Laur is right. He is clearly not long for this world. Eventually, Haka enters my house. My father greets him politely, and he walks past me. I do not look at the shaman yet. Haka looks down at the creature in absolute disgust. Using his stick, he lifts the blanket to inspect the pale body underneath. He turns to me, his gold eyes flashing. What were you thinking bringing this back to the village? What is he? Straight legs, no fur. These are the hallmarks of a demon. I truly don't believe. It doesn't matter what you do and don't believe. Did you think... This is not a cub. This is not a pet. This is not even food. This is the very worst of omens. I have the entire tribe to think about here. He stalks past me and outside. I hear him roar to all the tribe. Gather by the fires! We have a decision to make. Dada, can you stay here and look after him, please? Nobody but me may enter. If Haka returns before me, you should- I will watch over him. You go. Thank you, Dada. I hurry outside to the place where we eat and hold communion as the Durga tribe assembles. I sit near the inner circle amid a swell of striped purple, red, mauve, or magenta fur, knowing I will be called upon shortly to account for this. I have no idea what I'm going to say. Everyone from the tribe is here. The mates stand together in groups of two, three, and occasionally four. All around are scattered scampering cubs, bounding between these family units. Each of them knows who their birth parent groups are, and mostly live close to them, and their many, many grandparents, but they are looked after by all. A cub, I think, might be... Kalish? Nuzzles past me, turns tail and lollops in my lap. In my state of detachment, I pet him in the tummy, my mind on other things, 
until shortly he loses interest and goes across to his two fathers. The adults are glancing at me curiously. They clearly all want to ask questions about this new arrival of mine, but they wait impatiently for the matter to be addressed in its proper form. This does not take long to begin. The chiefs stand on either side of Haka and speak first. Something has been brought into our village that is causing upset. It is a small, slender, hairless, sick little animal. One of our hunters has it in her house at this very moment. We have asked Haka what it is, and what shall be done about it. Thank you, my great leaders. I have observed this creature, and while the idea of it doing any direct harm to any one of us is laughable, that falls by the wayside in the face of the unseen threat. We cannot possibly understand from its awkward little frame the true nature of what it carries inside. It is sick. This we know. Strange maladies have carried off whole tribes in the past, leaving a village of corpses to be swallowed up by the forest. Our healer has tended to it and ascertained an uncertainty of survival. It is not reacting as we would. Even now an infection could be spreading among us. That is an entirely practical danger, and in accepting its presence, we could be leaving our whole family's lives to chance. Is that not correct, Laura? He may die this night, that is quite possible. And you do not know the truth of this illness? No, but if this is a simple case of food poisoning or white fever, he may well live and regain his strength. Maybe so. But for this next possibility, my line of thought takes on a much darker aspect. For this, Durga, my family, I must speak directly with the spirits. He flings some powder into the largest fire, which flares up green and bright. Haka exhales and then breathes in the smoke that comes forth. The tribe around us starts to roar. I join in. I would never dream of not doing so. Haka's eyes go white as he stands, his musculature rippling and his limbs trembling. Spirits have shown me the nature of this beast. He knows not what dangers he brings, but his presence among us signifies the end of our world. The fire subsides. His soul returns to its proper size. creature, unlike any we have seen before, bears the form I have heard tell of in the deepest legends. In my training, I saw his kind etched on the walls of the houses under the earth. In dreams, I have seen demons in this form marching across Rama, bearing terrible weapons. The spirits have made clear we shall not defeat them. My family, I bear no personal malice towards this beast, but it is my contention that allowing it to live within our company, even for a short while, will bring more of them, as one fly inevitably attracts another until our lands swarm with his kind. He turns to glare at me. Prowl! 
Bring it here. We must break it and burn it upon our fire to undo this mistake. We must make amends. I am so, so sorry. I brought this upon us. Haka. My family. My tribe. Bring it here. But this is a living, thinking creature. He is dressed in his own clothes. He communicated with me. He understood my name and spoke it aloud. His name is Miguel. A pet. Birds can be taught to replicate sounds easily. But if it is a pet, surely it cannot be a demon. What good is sacrificing somebody's pet? It brings sickness. That I cannot argue with. Prow, you speak out of turn. It is not any of our place to argue with the will of the spirits, not even the shaman. You would have me bring him out in front of a roaring crowd and savagely mutilate this creature to his death, causing what remains upon the fire to appease whom? When you put it like that, it does sound a little heavy-pawed. But ridding ourselves of this burdensome, dangerous thing still has immensely practical thinking behind it. I do not wish to see this family in a blood frenzy. What say the rest of you? Consider this, shaman. We are not a cruel people. It has been the longest age since we sacrificed anything, even remotely intelligent. Rao, fetch this abomination from the river. It is only right and fitting that it be she who is responsible for its safe passage to the next life, with the minimum of pain. Answer me this with the clearest of vision, my wise shaman. Would the spirits be appeased if she simply killed it quietly in its sleep? I also do not wish any suffering. And I do see how shameful my suggestion appears. The spirits are old and often lack the compassion we bring to their teachings. Provided we burn its carcass afterward, both diseased flesh and entrapped demons should be sufficiently banished. Therefore, I believe the spirits should favor us for removing this threat. Is there no other option? Could I simply venture into the jungle and set it free? And have it follow you home again? Or ingratiate itself into another tribe? We share the land together, Rawana. What happens to one of us happens to all of us. Even when you take the life of an attacking leopard... It is simply a shadow, flickering across the warrior with many faces. It is decided. The beast must die. Very well. As you will. I shall be the one to do it. Good. To your work, Hunter. Thank you all. I seek nothing but the strengthening of my family. We know. Rawana. And we give thanks.
You have been listening to Tiger's Eye, written, edited and produced by Alex Shaw with a full cast. Harau was played by Maureen Foley. Sachel played by Sharon Shaw. Haka played by Spencer Lieb. Gar played by Matt Wardle. Yao played by Loretta Saylor. Hunter played by Alex Shaw. Laur played by Daniel Floyd. Presenter Sharon Shaw. The main theme is Agent in Shanghai by 1M1 Music, courtesy of Shockwave Sounds. You also heard Drums of the Deep, Snake Lady, Past the Edge, and Whimsy Groove by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Our special sponsors this month were Nick Grugan, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, Maureen Foley, James Dower, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio Dela Cruz, Scott Corzine, and Erish Traverse. And to everyone else who has been supporting us on the Patreon, a big thank you. If you aren't able to support New Century with dollars, there are other ways you can help it grow. Four or five star iTunes reviews. And if you can make the time to say a few kind words in a review, that all helps the show gain visibility and gets it into the ears of new listeners. And finally, a big shout out and a high five Paul to this week's iTunes reviewers, Brendan Agnew and All Theory No Practice.